Our scripture this morning will be Proverbs chapter 19, I mean chapter 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. You can be seated. Bergman handled the whole chapter of 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to do one verse this morning. And what a privilege it is to get to preach at Christ the King Reformed Baptist Church. We just did warfare, didn't we? That's what singing is. Nothing says warfare like that name, too. What a church name. I, I hear that name, and I'm ready to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. <laughs> Everything I know about Christ the King thrills my heart. And as I prayed about how to best serve you all this morning, I put the idea of wowing you with my intellect out of my head immediately. Your elders include Daniel Haas, the neuroradiologist, Jeremy Bergman, I ain't smart enough to understand what he does. Some to do with computers. And then the brilliant entrepreneur, pastor, theologian, Chris Jones, who feeds y'all the meat of the word week in and week out while also running a business. Y'all are blessed. So I thought I needed to keep it pretty practical. Some good old-fashioned biblical walking around sense. One thing I know about Christ the King is that you all are a church on a mission. You're committed to making an impact in this age that will echo into eternity. But it's not only I who knows who y'all are and what y'all are about. Satan knows too. And Satan is wicked, but he ain't no dummy. He knows that disunity, discord, and dissensions are a crippling presence in a church. He knows that it's impossible for y'all to do battle out there if y'all are distracted with conflict in here. And I don't know of any conflict that exists, but I know that Satan will want to stir that up. He'll want to get you distracted. And one of his primary tactics in producing that discord is through gossip. And sadly, many Christians are ill-equipped to recognize it when they're doing it. They don't always recognize it when they hear it. And then even when you do recognize it, you don't know what you're supposed to do about it. You ever, you ever hear it and you feel uncomfortable and you're, you're like, I don't know what to do. I feel so uncomfortable. Proverbs 2019 gives us all the instruction we need to render the threat of gossip absolutely powerless. We're going to be looking around a lot in the scriptures, but the primary exegesis and the definition of the words are going to be in this verse. And our points will come right out of this verse, although they're neatly hidden within the meaning of the words. So we're going to look at this morning the risk of gossip, how to recognize gossip, and then how to respond to gossip. The risk of gossip. Where do you see that? The risk of gossip in the text. Well, the word for slanderer, the one who reveals secrets, the gossip, all three of those, they're all the same person in this text. They're all the same dude, aren't they? But the, the risk of gossip is hidden in that first word, the, the slanderer. It means a 
talebearer or a scandal monger. Such is the person who says something negative about another person in order to create a scandal in a community. It can be within a family. Y'all have family members that might have gone around in your family and just stir up trouble. It can be in a workplace. It can be in a local community or a church. The slanderer or the scandal monger is part of a larger group where everything overall is doing well. I didn't, I didn't say perfect. I said it's overall doing well. It's functioning as it should. It's peaceful. It's healthy. It's growing like I think y'all are. But in comes the scandal monger. You've experienced it, haven't you, somewhere? You, you probably have someone in mind that you can think of. It's as if they come to you whispering, and it almost always begins with a whisper, not a trumpet blast. You don't, you don't suspect it. Satan's subtle. He doesn't have horns and pitchfork and long tail. Like he, it's always like they're whispering just, and they seem, you know, oh, you think everything's fine? You just ain't in the know. Things are not as fine as they look like they are, or at least I suspect they might not be. They'll, they'll plant little seeds of doubt of, I, you know, hey, everything's fine, but they, they plant the seeds of skepticism at first. They're identifying problems which everyone else has failed to see. They're the insightful ones. They'll be kind and they'll be warm and they'll come across as genuine. They'll convince you that they're the good guy. They're the one you can trust. But they want you to be skeptical of everyone else or, or at least someone else in the group. They've been hurt. They've been wrong. Some bad things have gone on. And, and you need to know about it. And, and why do you need to know about it? Well, you'll begin to think that they're trying to protect you from something sinister that might hurt you. Something you don't know. Oh, i I, I got to be on guard. And then you start putting a wall up against the rest of the community. Everything was fine, but now you hear this and you put the wall up. And you start looking around to say, maybe there is something wrong. You ever in a graveyard or something and somebody says, did you hear that? And then all of a sudden you're hearing stuff everywhere. You know, you, you start hearing stuff that ain't even there. And seeing stuff that's not there. The scandal monger creates that in the community. They'll admit at times they could be wrong, but then they'll restate their suspicions. They'll make sure you see their perspective and their fears while adding little details as they go to increasingly support their narrative. Have you seen it? You'll think they're good people. You'll think they'd never gossip, but you'd be wrong because that's exactly what they're doing with you. They're gossiping, and, and you're allowing it. You'll think you're the only one that they've talked to about their concerns, but other people almost always have heard the exact same stories because the scandal monger, notice it says, he goes about as a slanderer. He, he does it here. He tells this one, he's, shh. Right? And he goes over and he tells this one, it's, I'm confiding in you. And then he goes over to this one and, hey, did you know this? And the people who hear it, they think it's isolated. They don't realize that the negative opinions are spreading. And over time, it creates everybody starting to become skeptical. And everybody's looking for something wrong 
and it creates a scandal. They tell the same stories, they tell them the same way, and they create the scandal. And what's the outcome? Where there once was a field of unity, there's been planted the seeds of discord. Be mindful of these things which the Lord says he hates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These things the Lord hates. Yes, they are an abomination to him. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates that. Hates it. He hates scandalmongering. He hates false witness. Notice, he hates the false witness. It doesn't even say that he hates false witnessing. That's what it says, right? He hates the false witness who speaks lies. And he hates the one who sows discord. Am, am I reading into the text or am I reading the text right there? We're concentrating this morning on the risk of gossip, how to recognize gossip, and how to respond to gossip, but we must guard our hearts and lips from this deceitful, destructive sin because it's a sin into which it's so easy to fall because there's so many justifications. I'm going to name just a couple. I just need to vent. Have you ever just needed to vent? Well, do you? Where do you find that in Scripture? You know, Second Opinions chapter 3. You know what you need sometimes. You just need to vent. I've not read that, but I do know in Proverbs 29, 11, it says a fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. It literally says that if you're wise, you don't need to vent. And if you have an issue with someone with whom you are in covenant community, you have absolutely no right to vent. Let's call it something else, a.k.a. slander their name, a.k.a. assassinate their character. You do indeed have the Christian obligation to tell them their fault and to tell them alone. You do have that. Another one is, I'm, try I'm trying to think through these things to make sure I'm correct. That's the other pious-sounding things that we say to justify it. Am I seeing this right? What, what better person to think through it with than the person with whom you have an issue? You want to think through it and make sure you get it right? Talk to him. That's what a man does. Betas go around and they talk to everybody else because they're afraid of heading things straight on. Men go to the person they have a, an ought with or they think has a problem with them and they talk it through in gentleness and humility, biblically. They think through the issue. Love the other person enough to guard their reputation. Talk to them. Be restorative. You want to think through it? They can give you their perspective better than anybody. Deep down, we know when we're crossing the lines, don't we? Deep down. If you say something about someone and you'd be embarrassed if they overheard or found out, or if you're listening to someone else talk about another person and you'd feel uncomfortable if the person about whom they are talking were there, you know, don't you? Perhaps you can relate to where you found yourself looking around to see if the other person might be close enough to hear what's being said about them. You're kind of looking over your shoulder. And you see them and your hand almost intuitively goes over your mouth automatically. Have you been there? Because you know. It's called a conscience. It means with knowledge. You know. 
Or you, you see the person who's being talked about and the person doing the talking doesn't see them, you know, and you do the, you know, you do the nod or, or, or the little point, the, you know, or blare your eyes. You, 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 you want to let the speaker know that they might be heard. Guys, if you're not the gossiper, but you still have sense enough to know that they are gossiping and you're trying to blare your eyes to warn the gossiper to protect him, you're guilty. You might say, well, I wasn't gossiping, but you were engaged in gossip. You were entertaining it. You were giving safe harbor to a destructive sin that sowed discord among the brethren. It's for some reason the wink that sin. Just act like it's not a big deal. Would you want to find out that someone else was saying something similar about you when you weren't there? If not, then you should do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, shouldn't you? That's just sense. Well, no, actually, it's not just sense. It's Bible, too. And being Bible is more important than it being sense. But it is, just, it is sense. We know that. Not everyone who's violated these principles, though, is a scandal monger. But such are the first steps. And the outcome of such gossip can be catastrophic. Proverbs 17.9, it says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love. Think about that. There's a transgression that takes place between two people. The one doesn't tell anybody about it, and that's the one who seeks love, right? Is the transgression real or imagined in that text? It's a real transgression. It really takes place, and it says he who conceals it and doesn't tell anybody about the transgression is the one who seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Such is a scandal monger. You remember the curse of Ham? Noah got drunk. And Ham finds Noah drunk and naked, and he goes and he gets Shem and Japheth, and they, they to bring shame to his own father's name. And the, the other two brothers wouldn't even look at Noah. They backed up with a sheet to hide his nakedness. What happened to the one who shined light on Noah's actual real transgression, his actual sin? He was cursed and his whole line with him, his, all of his descendants, because he who conceals a transgression seeks love. But he repeats a matter, separates intimate friends. Noah needed to be talked to when he sobered up a little about, didn't he? He needed to be talked to when he got sober. He needed to be restored, but not shamed. That's not the heart of a Christian, to point out people's flaws just to shame them or to beat them down. The unity of friends can be upset. The unity of a whole family can be upset, of a whole community or a whole church. Distrust is created, and everyone starts looking at the person whose character is being assassinated, especially when these things are false, with skepticism and distrust. It's completely toxic. That's the risk of gossip. But how do we recognize when gossip is scandal-mongering, when, it, when, when that's what's going on? How do you know when this sort of scandal-creating gossip is at play? Well, the, the text next tells us that he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? You know, well, there's more to it than meets the eyes. The, the word for reveals, this Hebrew word, in, in its range of meaning, it means it go, they go into exile. They uncover or entrust with information in exile. What kind of information do they uncover? Secrets. That word is a state of intimacy and trust with a focus of reliance on secrecy to maintain the discretion. So basically he's saying, I want to talk to you about this other person, just you and me, without them around. 
Let's, I want me and you talk about this. He's taking you into exile with him to a place of secrecy. The scandal monger wants to isolate, to get along with you, and you guys talk about somebody else, but it's just between you guys. This text is not just saying they told you something that you didn't know when it says they revealed secrets. And it's not just saying that they told you something that few knew. It, it's that they intended for it to be something between just you and them. And either explicitly or implicitly, you'll feel as if they want to keep it in confidence. They want a surety from you that they can trust you with this information. And if you shared it with anyone else, you'll feel like it would be a breach of trust. They make you feel like, oh, I, can't talk, I can't talk about that. I'd be breaking their confidence. If I gossiped about them gossiping to me, then that would be wrong. That's how they'll make you feel. That's what this text means. And, and that's why the word, you know, Proverbs 26, 22, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost part of the body. It's because you think you're being included in something delicious. You're being included in something that others don't know about. And there's a certain delight in it of being brought into that secret place that you know this, you and this other person that's convinced you they're the good guy and you know about this big problem, but you need to kind of keep it quiet because apparently you're going to be like Batman or something. You're all going to smoke it out. I'm coming to you, they'll say, because I trust you. I know I'm safe with you. You can help me think through this issue, and I'm not sure anybody else can. Notice, they flatter you. To get you to go into the place of secrecy with you, they flatter you. They make you feel good about yourself. And by the flattery, they earn your loyalty so they can trust you with their dainty morsels of gossip that are creating a scandal. Don't flatter yourself. They're not just doing it with you. They go around as a scandal monger. They make you feel special. They get you on board, but they're going to sh sh with somebody else over there too. They, they just want to get as many people on board. They make you feel mature and wise, but by listening to them, you're showing that you're immature and foolish. And you become part of the scandal mongering. The Proverbs were written to make us wise. Listen, they tell us again in Proverbs eleven thirteen, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. It says the same thing here. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Same meaning. He goes about as a slanderer. He is bringing people into exile with, with, in, in a surety. But, it says, here's the difference. It says, this verse is different than the one, our text for this morning. It says, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. The scandal monger invites you into exile with these secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals the matter. Ask yourself this question. What does this issue have to do with me? That's a simple question. And once somebody reveals something to you that has nothing to do with you and they want you to keep it secret, that's the key right there. It has nothing to do with you and they want you to keep it a secret and not involve the other parties that are mentioned. They've revealed themselves as untrustworthy. He who is untrustworthy wants to include the parties who are involved. And why might they want to include the actual involved parties? Because if all the parties involved came together in the same room and everyone heard what was actually going on, then it would be exposed that their perspective isn't the gospel truth, that there's a different side to these stories, and they would be revealed as a gossip and a slander monger. So they don't want to get everybody in the room to get, They will avoid that. Say, let's get together and talk. No, 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 we don't want to. Do, I just, I don't trust them enough to talk to them. 
Well, they're untrustworthy. Guys, this ain't rocket science. It ain't even neuroradiology. The Bible's a cool book. It tells us exactly what's going on if we just read it. He who is untrustworthy is the one who has something to hide every time. If they've got something to hide, they're not trustworthy. They want to keep it in secret, just you and them. They're not trustworthy every time. You can trust the transparent guy. And we know that intuitively. The one that, hey, let's all get together and talk about it. You can trust that guy. You would think that the scandal mongers would be less successful than they are, but they're pretty successful. You know why? Because we're as sinful as we are. We hear it because they make it, we fall for the flattery. We get pulled into the secret place. They made us feel good. We protect their confidence. The next part is very important for the health of the church. The next thing I'm going to say is it's really important. As much as you refuse to follow the scandal monger into exile with your shared secret, regardless of who it's about, it's even more important that you be leery of someone inviting you with their secrets into exile about an elder. Even more. Anything that diminishes congregational trust and leadership is detrimental to the entire church. It'll rip it apart. That's why Satan's painted a huge target on the back of church leadership. Satan is the accuser of their brethren, and he wants to take out the ones who have the most influence. Once again, it ain't rocket science. Satan knows the scriptures better than we do. He knows Zechariah 13, 7, Strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You want to upset the whole flock? Well, get rid of the shepherd. Compromise trust in the shepherd and the whole flock. They won't follow him anymore. Jesus appropriately applied this truth to himself as the ultimate shepherd, but it's true of anyone who's in any area of leadership. That's why Paul instructs, 1 Timothy 5.19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So a charge should only come when two or three people witness something that is clearly sinful, and that's not to shield the elders from accountability but to make sure that they'll be unencumbered by endless peccadillo concerns. Do you know how many weeks somebody doesn't like something the pastor says or does, either publicly or privately? Every week. In every church, everywhere, and it's always been that way, and it will be until the eschaton. It can be exhausting. To keep fighting out there, you have to have a culture in here where people keep their disgruntled preferences to themselves. Well, that preacher, he's just too loud. Or that preacher's just too quiet. Or that preacher just uh, preaches too long. Or he doesn't preach long enough. Or he uses too much scripture. Or he stays in the same scripture too much. Or it, The thing is, everybody's got their preferences. And when you plant your seed of, I don't like this because of this, other people start looking for it. And then the, the pastors can't be effective because you've planted seeds of distrust in their heart or doubt in their heart about their ability to lead. Stop it. James 3.5, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And like any fire, a tongue inflamed with the destructive fires of gossip must be extinguished. Or it can burn this church that I love to the ground. Church, 
be a firefighter for your elders. Be a firefighter for these men. We should protect the reputations of every man. But 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So what you would protect every you should protect everybody here, but double honor to those of your elders that are ruling well, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So double, and then the one that teaches all the time, even more. Why? Because you don't want to make them the flock not listen to the voice of the primary teacher. Because it deafens them to God's word. So we know we're not supposed to go into exile of secrecy with the slanderer. So how do we respond to gossip? That's our last point. Therefore, it says, do not associate with a gossip. What does it mean here when it says, do not associate with a man? It's not saying that if anyone ever oversteps and tells you something negative about another person, never to talk to them again. We'd all be pretty lonely if that was what this meant, wouldn't it? We'd be like hermits living by ourselves. I mean, because I can tell y'all not to do this, but I know when I tell y'all don't do this, I got three fingers pointing back at me. I've done it. Y'all have too. You can lie if you want to, but I know you have. So what is it saying? The primary meaning is to not get involved with, not to mix with, or not to become a surety for. Refuse to give them surety. Refuse to keep it in confidence. They want you to keep it in confidence. You say, hey, you've brought this up. You don't have confidence. I'm not going to give you surety that we're not going to talk to this man about your problem you have with it. Most people are not gossips, but they entertain gossip, and they don't know what to do about gossip when they hear it. And I want to offer you three responses. One, refuse to be a confidant. I'm not going to allow you to harbor these feelings in your heart and not address it. That's your posture. I'm not going to let a root of bitterness spring up in your heart. I love you too much to let that happen to you. It's not good for you. You came to me with these feelings and we're not going to go into exile and hide from it. We're going to face it head on because that's what's best for your soul. Furthermore, I'm not going to let you continue to circulate that kind of poison in my family, in my place of business, in my community, and God forbid, in Christ's church. An accusation is a serious thing and a false accusation is even worse. We have to help identify sin so it can be addressed. When someone brings an accusation, we need to find out if it's true so we can deal with the accusation. If they brought an accusation and it's not true, then we need to hold them accountable for being a false witness. But somebody, here's a sinner, right? Either the liar that's telling something bad about somebody and it ain't true, they need to be held accountable, or what they're saying is true and it still needs to be dealt with. There's no reason to keep it secret. All that does is let sin go unaddressed. So you, you cannot be a confidant. I will not associate. I will not give you surety. I can't. They want to be in a... They, they don't... They, they've made it your responsibility to determine who is the sinner here. And that's not what they want you to do. They want you to go into the secret place. They want you to be an associate with them as the scandal monger and let them continue to go around sowing discord with more people. That's what they want. But God has used them to give you the responsibility to be the peacemaker. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
You don't get to be the scandal monger and sow discord. You have to be the peacemakers who bring the parties together and helps judge what is righteous and has everyone stand in it. They put that on you, and that's your duty now. It's your responsibility. And if you shirk it, then you're just as big a sin as they're in. Do you understand? You, you don't get out from this just because you're not the gossiper. You still have responsibility. When they gossip to you, you now have a responsibility before the Lord and for the good of the person being talked about and for the health of the church to deal with it. When you hear an accusation, there's two possibilities. It's true or it's false. I don't know of another one, right? Now, how do we find out? By not becoming a surety and by refusing to be a confidant. Turn, turn your Bibles now to Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 20. Everybody there? All right. Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 20. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. You got one witness? You ain't got nothing. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. But listen to verse 16. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests, before the judges, who will offer, who are in office in those days. So now what? The church is a kingdom of priests, right? And the church is now the, to judge between those who are in the church, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, right? The, this same parallel, this exact parallel is there. It was the temple and judge system, now it's the church, the ecclesia, the gathered people of God. So both men, they have the dispute. They stand before the Lord. Both the men shall uh, stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. And it says in verse 18, the judges shall investigate thoroughly. We don't just let things go. You might say, man, this sounds like a lot of work. You know what? Yeah, it, it is. But we're not a social club. We're the church of the living God. We have to keep her healthy. And you know what? We have to do what the Bible says we have to do, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, because King Jesus says so. So you do it even though it's hard. His church is precious, and if something can tear against the unity of Christ's church and keep it from being effective and fighting out there because you're too busy fighting in here, then you have to get rid of it, and doing this is how it happens. Look at verse 18. The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he is intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. You want to keep this toxic kind of stuff from finding a foothold in your church culture? Then this is how you deal with it. You drag it into the lie and you expose the scandal monger as the liar that he is. Titus, I believe Paul has this in mind in Titus 3 when he says... Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. If he's factious, he's creating these fissures in the church, you warn him once. He does it once, you warn him. He does it again, he's gone. Why? Because you've got to purge the evil from among you. And look at the outcome. Verse 20 of Deuteronomy 19.20. The rest shall hear it and be afraid and never again do such an evil thing among you. Obey, and people will know better than engage in gossip because they know it will be dealt with directly and publicly, and they can't hide from it. 
scare people from doing it anymore, won't it? You forfeit the luxury of confidence once you invoke the name of a person who's not with you. People want to protect the confidence of the gossip more than the reputation of the person being gossiped about. I've seen it a thousand times, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I, we've just worked through this at Manderville Fellowship. That's why you're getting this today. Okay? We've not been handling it right ourselves. I've seen it a thousand times. A third party comes to me, and they say, somebody said this or this, this or that about me or about the church. And I'll say, who told you that? I'd love to meet with them together and flesh this out. And then they get uncomfortable. They start squirming. And they say, well, I don't want to break confidence or violate their trust. They've been invited into the secret place. And I don't want to break the surety that they made that they never should have given to begin with. Brothers, you don't have to get the scandal monger's permission to do what Scripture requires. You have God's command and it trumps their permission every time. Bring the parties involved together. It was a law of Israel, and now it's the law that Jesus reiterated for the Israel of God, the church. You say, well, Matt, you quoted the Old Testament. Yeah, well, the whole Bible's inspired, so I don't think that matters, right? But if we need to reiterate it, what it says in Deuteronomy 19, listen what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. You can turn there if you want. Y'all might know it. It's almost like Jesus thought the whole Bible mattered and that Deuteronomy 19 was still inspired or something. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. That should be your goal every time, by the way. If you're concerned about his sin, it shouldn't be so you can call him out or shame him. It should be so you can help him and win your brother. I don't want to tell other people about it. I want to go to him and tell him about it. But, it says in verse 16, if he will not listen to you, then you actually have to get other people involved. Take two or three more with you so that at the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact might be confirmed. You, you investigate thoroughly. You actually get other people around to confirm the facts of what actually happened with not just one man's perspective, but other people who are witnesses who are involved in it, so you can find out who's right and who's wrong. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. What am I saying? You drag it right out in the open. You expose it. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then you let him to be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. You purge that evil from your midst. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be what was bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be what was loosed in heaven, that God will help through the church to judge rightly by his spirit. Again, I say to you that if two or three of you on earth agree about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. Guys, I ain't talking about when you're sitting around the fire playing your guitar. It's talking about in matters of disputing the church when you widen the circle and you get the church to rule on something that Jesus, it's before the Lord, before the priests, and before the judges that Jesus is on side of the majority against you. That you should submit to the work of the Holy Spirit through the church in judging these issues and these matters. So first, you refuse to be a confidant. Two more things. Defend the character of the person they're attacking. What a loving thing to do, isn't it? Proverbs 31.8 Speak up for those who have no voice for the justice of 
all who are defenseless. The person who is there has no voice. You know why? Because he ain't there. Right? He can't talk to you. He can't defend himself. He can't say, no, that's not how I see it, or no, that's not how I feel, or that's not actually what happened. He has no voice. So you get the talebearer bringing you his account of what happened, and you say, what, what, what do people usually say? Oh, wow, that's terrible. No, no, no. You say, that doesn't sound right. We, we have to get together and flesh this out. That doesn't sound like the character of this brother that I love so much. Defend the man that's being assassinated right there in front of you. You defend the character of the man who's being slandered. No one is more voiceless or defenseless than a man whose character is being assassinated when he's not there. That's the reason you'd hate it if someone was talking bad about you when you weren't there. What would you want someone to do if your name was being defamed when you weren't there? Do the same for them. Stop with the, well, I see where you're coming from. Or, or you know, I've kind of thought the same thing. Or sharing a story that more deeply entrenches their already held opinion. No, now, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you say it, blah, 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 blah. Guys, think about it like this. you got somebody being murdered group of people all around and they're kicking somebody they're down on the ground they're just kicking him stabbing him doing all kinds of things to him and everybody else is stabbing a whole lot and you're in the group you're one of their peers and you've not hit them one time but then you're like you feel the peer pressure and you think you know one time you just kick them once you would be convicted of murder for that in the court of law it's the same thing they assassinate the character, and you're like, you, they make you feel the peer pressure of they're saying all these bad things. Well, I want to get along well with them. Well, I'm not going to say many bad things, but I'm going to kick them one time. Don't kick them any. Stop them from kicking their character when they're not around. Stop it. Instead, you should be talking about all the good things you know about the party that's not there. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things and refuse to talk about things that we don't even know if they're true or not when that party's not around. So refuse to be a confidant. Defend the character of the person that they're attacking. And lastly, call the gossip to repentance. Call them to repent. You say, that sounds controversial. Yeah, it's pretty controversial for them to drag you into something you ain't got nothing to do with you too. That's the last aspect, and it's the ultimate act of refusing to be a surety for the scandalmonger. The person about whom they are talking might be in sin, but there might just be a misunderstanding, and the slanderer might be intentionally bearing false witness. You don't know for sure if the person they're talking about is in sin or not. But the slanderer is in sin because Jesus told him to go to the person who is sinning and to go to him alone. So the person being slandered might be in sin, but the person who's doing the slandering definitely is. And you're more concerned about the might be than about the definitely is. So what do you do? Set up a meeting between you and the two parties. Talk into this slanderer for 30 minutes as they tell you their every negative opinion that they might have about someone, and you just sit there and listen to all of it, and then you say, well, you need to go talk to them. Right? That's the best, that's the best most people that entertain gossip, that's the best they usually do. You need to go talk to them. And you think, 
that you did something holy when you do that. You're like, I'm out of it now, but you need to go talk to them. I'm not even going to find out if this is true. I'm just going to sit over here and wonder. With And they've planted these negative seeds in your head, and you don't investigate it to find out if it's true or not. And their, their character, they've gone down in your opinion, and you don't investigate it. You've already started the scandal mongering. And they here's the thing. They don't go talk to them like you said. They go to talk to somebody else like they talk to you and plant the same seeds of discord. You don't let them go on their own timeline and talk to them. You set up a meeting. We're going to go talk to them. We're going to face this head on. Why? Well, they've turned a private disagreement into a public accusation when they tell you about it. That's why it's no longer between them and them alone. It's not the same. It's no longer he sinned against me and I need to go to him and him alone. Now it's a public accusation. So now it has to be investigated by all, with all parties present so I can find out what happened and they can come to agreement. And if we can't do that together with just the three of us, then we need to broaden the circle with two or three more witnesses, like the Bible says. And maybe it could get, if you can't come to agreement then, it might have to go before the whole church because that's what the Bible says to do. And you can have a healthy church. You don't have to, you think, well, I don't want to have to do that all the time. You don't have to do it all the time when you do it once. Because it purges that evil from your midst. People don't want to do that. They are scared of sinning because they know it will be dealt with. Unfortunately, they're more scared of being embarrassed in public than they are of the wrath of God. I don't know why. It's irrational, but it's true. And it will clean up and keep, it will either clean up a cancerous culture or keep one from forming. Secondly, they don't often, you know, I've already mentioned they don't go to the person. And thirdly, even if they do go, if you say you need to go talk to them, they go. And they come back to you and say, I talked to them. They just wouldn't listen. Unfortunately, when they go and talk to them, they talk real bold to you. And they talk to them and the conversation's completely different and it's kind of timid. And then they come back to you and say they didn't even listen. You think, wow, you talked to them. They still wouldn't listen. That person really is awful. Thing is, they were so vague, they wouldn't anything really even talked about. I know because I've seen it happen. And it just deepens the scandal when you do it that way. And make sure it happens quickly. The stakes are really high. Matthew 5, 22 through 25. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And everyone who says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the spring court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You can't let this linger. This is urgent. You cannot even worship God, it says, until you value that relationship with your brother. And if they are unwilling to do it by themselves, then you have to help to make sure that they do it and they do it quickly. We can't wait. On this because it matters. Anger against a brother is a fiery hell kind of issue. That's what we just read, isn't it? You're saying you have to deal with this because this kind of sin festering in your heart, undone, uh, un, undealt with, how can you love God who you've not seen and hate your neighbor or your brother who you have seen? This is urgent. We act like we're playing a game. The thing is, do we believe this book or not? Do, do we believe that the person who is angry with his brother is in danger of being guilty before the, the, before the court and that the one that says you fool or you good for nothing is in danger of hellfire. Do we believe this book or not? If we do, deal with it.
it's more than a life or death issue. It's a heaven or hell issue if we believe this book. I think we should. When someone gossips, they're sinning against the person about whom they're gossiping, against the entire church, against themselves, and against you. They might flatter you and tell you how helpful you are, how wise, how compassionate, how understanding, and how empathetic. But deep down, you know something's wrong. It upsets your spirit. You thought, I don't want to be in the middle of this. I feel trapped. I feel confused and conflicted. I don't know what to do. Well, all of those things might have been true before this morning, but now you can never again say you don't know what to do. You know what to do. I wish you didn't have to do it, but they drug you into it, and now it's your duty before a living God. And if you'll do what you're supposed to do, you will keep gossip from wreaking havoc at Christ the King Reformed Baptist Church. And I want that because I love this church. Deuteronomy 8, 19, 18, don't forget. The judges shall investigate thoroughly. Make sure it's investigated. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you, and the rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. You want rid of it? Here's how. Uproot the scandal monger, and everyone else is scared to do it. Where's the gospel in all this? Well, it's not gospel. I haven't preached gospel to you this morning so far. I'm going to. Right now I preach law. But the law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. What's the most heinous example of a man who was ever falsely accused that you can think of? I'll give you a clue. It starts with a J and ends with an Jesus. Come on. That's it. Yeah. Jesus. Falsely accused. We call him Lord, don't we? And remember... Mark 14, 55 through 56, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Well, duh, of course it wasn't. It was all false testimony, right? But what did Jesus do? 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why didn't he defend himself? Because you are a sinner and I'm a sinner. And he loved us enough to suffer the wrath of God for our sins. We're not Jesus in this equation. We already said, when I point at you and say, don't do this, i got three more pointing back at me. We're the scandal mongers. Jesus took our punishment. He took the wrath of God on himself for all of this destructive sin. He took it on himself. You repent and you place your faith in Christ Jesus. And also, remember this. If you're the one that's that's been gossiped about, You've been forgiven much, so you can forgive them. You can be restorative of the person that's wreaked the havoc. You can bring them back in. You say, Christ's blood's enough for you. Repent and believe the gospel, and you can bring that brother back in. You can hug his neck. It don't matter how many horrible things he said about you. Because that's the gospel in this. Christ bore the wrath for us. So we can continue to strive to be like Christ, knowing that we're not what we should be. We can help others, even continuing to pursue and love those who slander us or put us down because their souls are worth it. 
We can walk in humility when accused, being open to the accusation because if we are justified only because of the righteousness of Christ, we don't have to justify ourselves. We can say, hey, bring it into the circle. If I'm, if I'm in sin, I want it to be exposed because I want to know and I want to repent. We can leave it open to God to vindicate us. Like, I'm, remember, I'm not saying try to make sure you're vindicated when you're gossiped about. I'm saying when you see another brother being gossiped about, you try to vindicate them. I don't care about me. But I want a culture where everybody does that for each other because of love. And the gospel makes us able to do that with love and restoration. We can forgive those who stir up discord in the church, defame our names, because we ourselves are recipients of great mercy. And we can continue striving together in cooperation with our imperfect covenant community, using our gifts in concert with other spirit-filled believers who themselves are not the finished product any more than us. We can keep our focus on making an impact out there because we're unified in love in here despite our failures. Kind of gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, these, these things we hear in your word, we look at your law, and, and it, it terrifies us because we know we're guilty. But we look at the cross, and we find forgiveness, and we find pardon, we find relief. God, the law can chase us to the cross, but no further. And we thank you for that. Lord, I do pray that you'll keep this church healthy, that you'll use them dealing with these, these, these satanic attacks when they come up, that they'll deal with them righteously and biblically, and that you'll keep Christ the King. It's a young church. I pray that it's here 100 years from now, striving and going strong. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.